Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino online. I was only playing for fun, so winning was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's favorite free online social casino. You too could have the chance to win life-changing cash prizes. Absolutely anybody could be like Mary. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumboCasino.com and play for free now. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of the winner. Everyone is howling about Paws of Fury. It's the most fun comedy of the summer. I am your father. What? No, I'm not. <laughs> Michael Sarah. It's showtime. And Samuel L. Jackson. What the mother father kind of spaniel's going on here? Paws of Fury. Only in theaters this Friday. Rated PG. And welcome back to the Exxon, everyone. I am Rob McConnell, and for the next four hours, I'm your host and your guide as together we cross the time-space continuum to this place that I call the Exxon. It's a place where people dare to believe and dare to be heard. It's a place where fact is fiction and fiction is reality. And the Exxon comes to you Monday through Friday from 10 p.m. Eastern until 2 a.m. Eastern right here on the Exxon Broadcast Network, Talkstar Radio Network, Mutual Broadcast Network, iHeartRadio. Simul Radio and Simul TV. If you'd like to see the broadcast schedule that we have for you, 24-7, 365, on the Exxon Broadcast Network, visit www.xzbn.net. And for the Exxon TV channel, uh, which is channel number 21 on Simul TV, www.simultv.com. Exonation, my guest this hour is Mark Carlotto. He is an aerospace engineer with over 30 years of experience in satellite imaging, remote sensing, signal and image processing, pattern recognition, and app development. Carl, uh, Mark received his PhD in electrical engineering from Carnegie Mellon University in 1989. It has been published over 100 technical articles and written six books. Now, in his latest book, in Before Atlantis, uh, Mark draws from his unique background and experience to propose new answers to the basic questions concerning human origins, ancient technology, and archaeological enigmas. His website is beforeatlantis.com. And Mark, welcome back to the Exxon. It has been way too long. Hello, Rob. Thanks for having me. Um, where, you know, we, a lot of people, and I'd like to ask you this, uh, it's totally off off base of what we were going to talk about tonight and what we are going to talk about tonight, uh, th there seems to be a renewed interest in the hollow earth theory. And uh, as, as somebody who works in the aerospace injury, uh, engineering, uh, uh, you know, talking about in, uh, imaging, remote sensing, uh, and so on, what is your take on the hollow earth theory or the hollow earth project or whatever, however you want to call it? Oh, boy. Well, I mean, I've heard of it, yeah. but, um, y you know, honestly, uh, it's 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 actually almost sort of in in contrast to what we'll be talking about yeah. tonight, because in a sense, what, um, you know, we're talking about tonight is the idea of the of a pole shift sure. of the surface of the earth, the crust sliding over the mm. mantle. And so it's got to slide over something, you know, substantial sure. and molten and hot. So uh, I don't know where the hollow earth would fit into that. Um, well, why I asked you, Mark, because I did go over the information that we were, we're going to be talking about tonight. And uh, a number of the proponents claim that there is a hole in the North Pole and a hole at the South Pole 
that allows, in Antarctica itself, that allows people access to the inner earth. And I thought maybe you might have a theory on that, but I, you know what, I respect your honesty. Well, you know, I, I try to stick to what I know. Sure. <laughs> and I appreciate it's, that. I, okay. re I really do. Um, you were involved in the Mars investigation uh, going back into the 1980s, 1990s. What have you been doing since then, Mark? I, you know, I did that for about 20 years, and mm -hmm. I, I kind of burned out. I, I felt there wasn't much more to do, and um, it actually, uh, as that was winding down, I moved uh, I moved to a place called Gloucester, Massachusetts, and I uh, got involved in some projects related to local history and archaeology. And so um, I kind of uh -huh. got got out from behind a computer and got, mm -hmm. you know, got my hiking boots on and spent a lot of time in the woods exploring and uh, been doing that for about 10, 15 years or so. Well, it's nice having you back. And uh, how did you get involved with your new project and book before Atlantis? Well, it was total serendipity mm -hmm. um i was on google earth looking at some archaeological sites in mexico that i wanted to visit um we're going to a wedding there and i thought i'd take a trip off um you know escape for a day or two and mm -hmm. visit some of these sites and um so i'm looking at these sites and um uh you know google earth is is an is an incredible tool and oh, i didn't yeah. have it Back in the days of the Mars investigation, we did all the, you know, mapping and mm -hmm. and um, uh, all the all the geographical coordinates. So that was all done by hand. But now you can do incredible things. And uh, you know, I noticed that some of these sites were not aligned to north. And you know, I re remembered back in the Mars investigation days that I was looking at some structures on Mars that were not aligned to north. And the theory. So, uh, uh, a fellow a colleague by the name of Tom Van Flander had suggested the idea that perhaps on Mars these structures were once aligned to the, to the North Pole, but then the pole had shifted, mm. and so are now rotated. And so, you know, my mind back then was on Mars, but, you know, we were looking at terrestrial uh, comparisons, terrestrial analogs, and I remember looking at Teotihuacan in Mexico, and um, and noticing it was misaligned. So, you know, fast forward now you know, this past year, um, looking at the same images, but now on Google Earth and realizing, wow, these are misaligned. So, yeah, one thing led to another. I remembered uh, Hapgood's theory of pole shifts and, and actually some work done by mm -hmm. uh, some Canadians by the name of Rose and Rand Flemath. You oh, probably yeah, had them on your show. Many years ago. Yeah. And uh, they wrote a book, called when the sky fell and it was a, a theory is um that um antarctica was atlantis that mm -hmm. that that landmass was at a much more temperate uh climate or latitude and, and a te more temperate climate and when the pole shifted they believed that this happened uh, 12 to eighteen thousand years ago that it slid down to the south pole and that civilization was flash frozen and it's buried under all the ice um, down there anyway so all of these things are connected so all this is going through my mind and i realized wow you know here's a site that we never i never really looked at to determine does you know did this actually in fact mm -hmm. line up to one of these old poles and then I found other sites that were misaligned. And over the period of, of a few weeks, I analyzed hundreds of sites and discovered that magically, <laughs> uh, or for some reason, uh, they all seem to line up to four previous locations of the North Pole. So it was sort of, you know, that eureka moment. Yeah. 
Um, one of the most talked about um, um, ancient locations where people still say the that is still totally aligned is the Great Pyramid in Egypt. Has that also uh, shifted, or is it still where it was many years ago, perfectly aligned with uh, with Sirius? Well, you know, some say that it's 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 changing uh, position ever so slightly. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a really interesting theory. Um, you're, I'm sure you're familiar with it, which is the um, Giza or rising correlation theory, which is that the pattern of the three pyramids in Giza match uh, the three stars in Orion's belt. Right. And there's a, also a larger context involving the, the Nile and the Milky Way and and um, and Sirius and so forth. And that all mm-hmm. these uh, uh, these patterns uh, on the ground mirror those in the sky about 10,500 uh, years ago. And um, so this this date is after this last pole shift. So the last pole shift. Um, and what Hapgood, Charles Hapgood, had um, discovered, um, and we can get maybe into this a little bit later, sure. but not to get too far into it right now, but he discovered that there were um, several positions of the pole that could explain climate change, and that a previous position mm-hmm. of the pole in Hudson Bay, uh, north of you, yeah. uh, could have been the cause of the Wisconsin glaciation when the giant ice sheet covered Canada and North America. Uh, you know, back uh, prior to, uh, you know, uh, 12,000 years ago or so. And um, and so when the pole shifted uh, from Hudson Bay to the current uh, North Pole, the glaciers moved north and so forth. And uh, so so all this. Um, so so the pyramids in Egypt are aligned to the cardinal directions to current north now. So this by the theory that I'm proposing these were built after the last pole shift, but something built before the pole shift, say Teotihuacan, mm-hmm. that was aligned to a pole in Hudson Bay. So when that was built, that was pointed north, uh, say 20,000 to 50,000 years ago. And then when the pole shifted back 10 to 18,000 years ago, that shifted position in latitude and also rotated. Because when the pole shift is kind of like the crust moves over the mantle of the earth it's kind of like a wheel and so some points shift laterally others you know if you're at the axle of that rotation they just kind of rotate but you know teotihuacan both shifted and rotated um so after that happened sometime after that the egyptians uh, by this theory you know that i'm uh, proposing uh they built uh the structures in egypt and so they are aligned and have you know remained aligned uh all right mark we, we, the, we've we've got to take pole. a break please stand by explanation uh dr mark carlotto is our special guest this hour www.beforeatlantis.com we'll be back on the other side of this break as we continue here in the x-zone from our broadcast center and studios in hamilton ontario canada i'm rob mcconnell don't go away
Exonation, Dr. Mark Carlotto is our special guest this hour. He is the author of Before Atlantis, and his website is beforeatlantis.com. Now, Mark, when we're talking about a polar shift, does this polar shift also affect the electromagnetic field? Yeah, in a sense, it does. Um, you know, currently, the um, you know, with the Earth uh, aligned as it is, mm-hmm. uh, the magnetic pole does move slowly. Uh, that's the reason why a compass doesn't face geographic north, but it, you know, the magnetic declination when you read a compass has to be taken into account so you can determine uh, true north from the magnetic reading. Uh, and this changes over time. Um, uh, and the idea is that when the uh, pol- the geographic pole shifts, mm-hmm. everything shifts with that. Um, and this is actually uh, relevant because uh, of some work that was done in the 90s where they actually discovered back 500 million years ago that there was an enormous pole shift on the Earth. And that's based on the these so-called paleopoles, which are magnetic poles. Um, so the two are, are kind of linked together. Now the the polar shifts that the pole shifts that that you're talking about, how grave will they be? How significant will they be? So the the pole shift that's that's pretty well documented and accepted by uh, by mainstream scientists mm-hmm. and geologists um, was a rotation of about ninety degrees of the planet. Wow. So you know a, so the Earth turning you know a quarter of the way around. These pole shifts are um, that Hapgood. Um, uh, detailed uh, are smaller, um, uh, smaller, uh, say, um, you know, roughly half or a third of that. And their movements of the pole from its current position to places like the Bering Sea, mm-hmm. north of the, the Aleutian Islands, or to northern Greenland, or the Norway Sea, or Hudson Bay. So it's not a significant deviation. Uh, but the, but um, the one possibility is, is that these pole shifts were not gradual, but were sudden shifts. And the ensuing, um, you know, shock uh, was the the mechanism behind, you know, the the catastrophes and the destruction and the floods that were talked about, you know, by Plato and Atlantis, right. and, you know, worldwide myths. How how realistic that Atlantis really is, Antarctica and in the far south. Um. I, I don't, you know, it's 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 possible that there is something mm-hmm. under under the South Pole uh, in Antarctica. It's 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 likely if that was a uh, temperate landmass that there is something to be found there. Um, I, you know, someone uh, when I was working on the book, uh, telling him what I was doing, I told him the title. They said, you know, you got to ditch the title because that's going to get you into trouble. I says, well, not really, because you know, I'm not, I'm not looking for Atlantis per mm-hmm. se. But what, what is talked about in the book, and what I discovered was a much broader context. There might, might have been a place uh, called Atlantis, and it, and it could have been at the South Pole. It, right. it could have also been in the Yucatan. Mm-hmm. That's actually what I'm leaning more towards, based on the data in the book. But the, the point in the book is that it was a much, it was a worldwide civilization that existed for hundreds of thousands of years. Um, and Atlantis was a part of that. So where in history did we go wrong where we basically restarted our, our civilization and our societies? Well, I mean, in a sense, we're always going wrong. Uh, mm-hmm. I mean, it's human nature. We, 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 we tend to forget. We want to forget. We tend to marginalize, as particularly things that we don't understand or that are threatening. And, you know, um, you know, Graham Hancock talks about this uh, amnesia that 
that our civilization has. I think it's human nature. Mm-hmm. And I think, um, you know, I think it's probably been going on as long as, as uh, humans or Neanderthals or uh, Denisovans have been in existence. It's probably a trait that we all, all these species have. And it leads to uh, it leads to forgetting our past and then, you know, trying to rediscover it. And that's what this is all about. What are the results of your new dating? For example, how old, um, say, is Machu Picchu? So Machu Picchu would have been aligned to um, the pole in the Bering Sea, and that could be um, it could be eighty thousand years uh, old mm-hmm. or, or or older. Uh, that's the oldest. Um, so uh, sites in Peru Sacred Valley would be among the oldest. Uh, but but there's also other sites in Europe and northern Africa that are equally old because they too point to that ancient pole. Are we talking about the Acropolis? So the Acropolis would have uh, the Acropolis actually is aligned to the uh, Greenland Pole. Mm-hmm. So that that would have been more like fifty thousand years ago, um, uh, and uh, you know that that of course you know raises the the question or you know some people would say well you know are you saying that the Acropolis itself is fifty thousand years old? Um, the 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 basic idea that I'm proposing is that the original site was established mm-hmm. at that time and that over time yeah. uh, it was expanded rebuilt uh keeping that orientation so um perhaps yeah. the acropolis you know that structure mm-hmm. is fifty thousand years old but the parthenon is more recent actually it was built on an on an earlier parthenon so there's you know there's many cases and i talk about this in the book of of these structures built on top of uh of older structures um temper temple of jupiter uh, in uh, at Baalbek in uh, Lebanon is another example. So um, these these exist throughout the world. How did the ancients know so much without the technology that we have today? I mean, who, yeah, who knows what they what they knew exactly? Um, like how how did they know how to align themselves with the poles at the time? Well, aligning something to north, uh, all that takes is is uh, is patience um, and accurate uh, measurements. You know, by measuring, um, you know, putting a stick on the ground mm-hmm. and measuring the position of the sun. Um, and there's you know methods of uh, intersecting circles. You can get pretty good accuracy. That's that's how they think the Egyptians uh, did it to to the to the current pole. Um, you know, this is, uh, an assumption is that. Uh, humans, uh, hu- humans haven't changed. That you know, w- that our uh, hunter-gatherer forefathers were no less intelligent. They didn't have the technology we had, mm. but they were equally intelligent, and they could figure a lot of this stuff out. Speaking about uh, Egypt, uh, what does your theory tell us about uh, the uh, the Sphinx, for example? Well, the Sphinx is part of the same complex, and. Uh, uh, back during the Mars, my uh, days of the Mars investigation, mm-hmm. uh, I spent a little bit of time with um, uh, with Robert Baval and yeah. uh, and uh, Robert Shock and John Anthony West and Graham Hancock, and you know th- that was when a lot of these theories were coming out. In particular, you know, West had uh, proposed the idea that the Sphinx was much older, and then Shock, uh, through his analysis, determined that it likely was based on water erosion. And this, you know, this theory pushed back the age of the Sphinx from, you know, like 31, 
you know, like something like 3100 BC to perhaps 7000 BC or, or earlier, which, you know, at that time, and by, you know, sort of more conventional, more conventional alternative theories, mm-hmm. if, if I can use that term, is considered old. This this non-conventional alternative theory that I'm proposing just simply has that that uh, that that uh, period of time being the latest uh, since the last pole shift. But there are other periods of time that are take you back into much more vastly ancient uh, time frames, going back um, not you know a thousand or ten thousand years, but to you know a hundred thousand years. If there was a pole shift tomorrow. How would it affect us in in present day society? Well, I, I actually talk about the pattern of pole shifts in the book, mm-hmm. and it's and, and it appears there's a lot more I think to be to be uh, to be done with this, a lot more analysis. But when the shift occurs, there are places that uh, that take the you know the they they bear the brunt of it. There's the most damage. That's sort of you know this wheel analogy where there's the greatest amount of lateral shift. There's most damage there, but other parts uh, of of the planet would be less affected. So it's sort of like patterns of destruction. So, you know, I'm not I'm not so sure that there was a worldwide flood or worldwide devastation. Mm-hmm. You know, back. 12 to 18,000 years ago, I think it affected some areas more than others. Um, so as a result of that, you know, the, the planet was not completely destroyed, but it just, you know, there was just more destruction in some areas than others, and other, some areas more disrupted than others. Looking in the history as it is written and taught, how different is the history that you believe compared to the history that is written about? Well, you know that history is being is being rewritten now because back um, you know back about ten years ago they discovered this cave in Siberia mm-hmm. with uh, this new humanoid species, uh, this the 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 uh, um, Denisovans, and that um, is completely write, rewriting the whole book on on the origin of man. And uh, what's interesting, it's all genetically, you know, a lot of the uh, uh, research is genetically based, and um, they're able to to pull out all sorts of information. And so, you know, I, I think where where I'm going with this theory is kind of in the same direction that um, these you know these these new discoveries, um, you know, new avenues that they're beginning to open up. So I think there's there's a convergence. All right, stand by, Mark. Thanks so much for coming on the show. Very interesting topic and explanation. If you'd like to find out more about our guest this hour, Dr. Mark Carlotto visit his website, beforeatlantis.com. And Mark and I will be back on the other side of the news as we continue here in the X-Zone from our broadcast center and studios in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada. My name is Rob McConnell. Don't go away. Thank you. 
Let's see. Only 14 more days. No, not 14. Can't be 14. Craig, what is it, 20 days before Christmas? Wow, my gosh. This year has gone by so fast. Explanation, our guest this hour is Dr. Mark Carlotto. He is an aerospace engineer with over 30 years of experience in satellite imaging, remote sensing, signal and image processing, pattern recognition, and app development. Uh, his website, beforeatlantis.com. Uh, Mark, can you tell us more about Machu Picchu? Can you break it down in terms of the alignments you have analyzed so far? Sure. In fact, um, you know, there, uh, there's there's a lot in the book, and Machu Picchu is one of the sites covered in the book. But mm -hmm. uh, BeforeAtlantis.com um, has uh, as an ongoing uh, blog where I'm posting, um, you know, new research results, and I just posted uh, uh, some new results last week on concerning Machu Picchu. Um, the original uh, revelation with Machu Picchu was like. Um, uh, Oye Tantambo and uh, Sacsayhuaman uh, and Cusco, uh, these are all sites that face the uh, a pole in the Bering Sea north of the Aleutian Islands, the, the oldest right. pole in this chronology that Hapgood developed. And um, the, uh, the, the particular structure at Machu Picchu that aligns to this is called the Temple of the Three Windows. And so the idea is that when the, uh, when the pole was uh, at this location, this particular structure would have been oriented north, south, east, and west, and the three windows would have looked out to the east. Right now, it doesn't. Right now, it looks out in a completely non-solar direction. And what's interesting is that that site is uh, consists of several, you know, several parts. Um, the parts that the uh, that are thought to be the residences face mostly to the east, and in our thought to uh, have been. Uh, involved in some kind of solar alignments, mm -hmm. at least solar observations. But the older structures, the um, the, uh, the Temple of the Three Windows and the Intihuatana, this is the you know, so-called hitching post of the sun, these do not align in any way to the current um, uh, sunrise directions, solstices or anything like that. But back, um, you know, 80, 90,000 years ago, uh, they, they would have aligned to east. And the uh, Intihuatana uh, is particularly interesting because it shows evidence of being uh, of being modified over the course of time as as the pole shifted. It turns out that Machu Picchu was in one of those places on the planet that did not suffer serious damage. Um, there are earthquakes there for sure, right. but it wasn't devastated to the extent that other sites were. And so it, it, there's evidence in the analysis I, I have on the blog that suggests that the uh, in, uh, in, that the um, Intihuatana was modified. Uh, it was initially a solstice marker uh, to to register the um, the summer solstice um, uh, sunrise, the date of the summer solstice. But then after a pole shift occurred, that alignment didn't work anymore. Right? It rotated, and so then they repurposed it as as an equinox marker by taking it because what happened was at that point the um, Machu Picchu shifted from where it was to a place almost on the equator and on the equator if you have a structure that has a vertical shaft at noon on the equinox it casts no shadow and so 
I believe this is when it became known as the hitching post of the sun, you know, back, you know, many thousands of years ago. And there's signs that as the pole shifted since then, other modifications were made to it. It's a very complicated object. Uh, it's got very strange angles. Mm -hmm. And if you analyze these relative to the pole shift directions, they seem to be correlated. So no one's, uh, this is completely new. No one's come up with anything like this before. Uh, it's totally out of left field because that's, that's kind of where I live. <laughs> Mind you, that is where most of the brilliant discoveries are made. Right? Well, brilliance and insanity, right? They, they kind of there's a there's a fine fine line be between the two of them. <laughs> All right, point well taken. <laughs> what do you think the the main purpose for these archaeological treasures were? Um. These are, these are all impressive sites. Yes, uh, they are. Yeah. The, oldest, the oldest sites have the largest stones. The stones that we uh, can't figure out how they were quarried, transported, mm -hmm. um, um, shaped, fitted, erected. Um, you know, it's not just, the, uh, not just the Sacred Valley in Peru, but the, you know, other structures, other enormous structures are like uh, in, uh, at Baalbek. Uh, you know, these are thousand plus ton stones uh, that have been uh, quarried, partially quarried. There's indications that there's even more stones underground that, that are buried. Um, these were obviously sites uh, that had uh, important symbolic significance, uh, ceremonial significance. Um, uh, you know, perhaps, uh, you know, look at the grand buildings in our, in our uh, civilization. You know, you look at the at the obelisk, the Washington Monument. Um, yes. It's, you know, it's an important symbolic um, uh, structure, uh, subject to great, certainly a lot of controversy, but, you know, if there's an esoteric mm -hmm. meaning and all that to it, but certainly uh, symbolizes uh, greatness and, 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 and uh, power and strength. And so, uh, you know, I think these, uh, these sites had sort of, the, they were built with the same mentality. They were built by humans. And, I, you know, like I said, I don't think humans have changed. I think we're, we've always been the same. Just the technology has been different. All right, but if we're looking at these these magnificent structures around the world, do we see similarities that would that would suggest that there was communication over the great and vast distances that these these uh, archaeological wonderments are actually found? For example, Peru, uh, the uh, Machu Picchu to the Great Pyramids to the Acropolis. There has to be something here that connected all these different locations. Any ideas on what they were? Or what they are, I should say. Well, yeah, you know, others have, have noticed similarities in, um, in construction techniques, mm -hmm. in um, shapes of, of, of some of these monoliths, uh, of, of like protruding um, stubs uh, of, of special um, cutouts for uh, putting in uh, uh, metallic uh, uh, structures to join them together. Uh, it's, you know, not, it's not the area uh, that... Uh, specifically uh, pursued in, in before Atlantis, but mm -hmm. others have found similarities in uh, construction techniques um, and uh, you know materials used. They're, they always tend to, if, if available, use the hardest, most durable uh, stones. Um, you know, others have, have found similarities based on uh, iconography, um, and you know that's been probably uh, subject to the greatest amount of uh, of criticism. 
because you know you, you start getting it starts to become very subjective. Yeah. Uh, and I think what's what's appealing about the approach I've taken is it's, it's totally based on geometry and math. And so you know I found these correlations. The the correlations exist. Anyone can can um, you know uh, go to Google Earth and draw lines and show. Uh, and, and, and see, you know, that these points converge to these uh, pole locations, that these were points of alignment. Uh, the, and then the, the fact that they're correlated with these previously identified poles that were derived based on climate change analysis. In other words, Hapgood, you know, believe that this pole, uh, pole in, the, um, uh, in, in Alaska explained the fact that North America was cold, but, but uh, Europe was warm at the time. So, you know, that's, I'm trying to stick, uh, I, 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 I think what I'm trying to say is that the analysis that, that I've been uh, pursuing is more, is more quantitative, so there's less, it's less subjectivity. It's, it's no less valid. I mean, these are all valid uh, ways of, of analyzing the similarities. And, and to your point, uh, I, I agree that there are many similarities between these structures, uh, between structures across the world. Um, and, you know, mainstream science has no answer for that. And, and that's, that's why I think this is a very exciting area because, uh, you know, you see constantly people sharing photos and yeah. discoveries on Facebook and it's like, it, there's just so much excitement. It's, it's really, uh, uh, gratifying to be a part of it. What do we hope to learn from your discoveries and how will it affect us in the future? So... I think um, I'm, I'm hoping that um, someone that has the ability and the means uh, might decide to say do some deep deep excavations. Right. Because um, that's you know if if these sites if say the Parthenon or the Acropolis is fifty thousand years old if you keep digging under you know you keep going down you're you should find something else there should be more stuff there and um so uh th that's the only that's the only way this hypothesis will get advanced to a to a theory is to actually have some independent means of verifying it so i think you know excavations um this actually uh, had started back in uh in the early 1900s there was a mineral mineralologist by the name of william niven who did a lot of research in the Valley of Mexico, and he looked. He did stratigraphic analysis of hundreds of clay pits, and he came to the conclusion that there was a, a broad cataclysm that occurred in Mexico, uh, tens of thousands of years ago, and um, this actually correlates to uh, to uh, what I much of what I describe in the book, and it's in the book. All right, Mark. Um, well, I hate to do this, buddy, but we've got to take our final break for this hour. Sure. Exonation. Dr. Mark Carlotto is our special guest this hour www.beforeatlantis.com and Mark and I will be back as we wrap up this hour here in the X-Zone from our broadcast center and studios in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada. I'm Rob McConnell. Don't go away.
ExoNation, my guest this hour is Dr. Mark Carlotto. He is the author of Before Atlantis. His website is beforeatlantis.com, and Before Atlantis is available on Amazon.com. First of all, Mark, thank you so much for joining us. Congratulations on, on an exciting book uh, with some, you know, you're, this, is, this is truly amazing, and it's going to be a lot of food for thought for a lot of people. But do you think there are going to be more sites that are going to be found that will be able to be applied to your uh, your hypothesis? I, I think so. Actually, um, you know, I, I at first I thought I'd you know finish the book and then mm-hmm. do something else. And and as it turned, and then someone asked me, "Well, what are you going to do next?" And it's like, "Well, I'm I'm kind of still working on this." What I've actually discovered over the last few weeks um, is that there's a very interesting site up in uh, Siberia. Um, over in Siberia. Uh, I guess it's up, it could be over, depending on how you go. Um, that um, uh, goes back to uh, 700 uh, AD. They, they think it was constructed. It's called um, uh, Por, uh, Porbasian. And um, this is a new site that's not in the book that appears to be aligned to one of the ancient poles. Hmm. And it's a very mysterious site. They, uh, there was a, an intensive uh, Russian-led excavation back about 10 years ago. And uh, they, they excavated about a third of the site. And they still don't really understand uh, why the site was built. It's, it's, it's in a place that's it's, it's actually built on a permafrost island in the middle of a shallow lake in southern Siberia. Um, there's no evidence that it was occupied for very long. There's, there's very few artifacts there. Um, and it's misaligned. And so, you know, when I see things that are misaligned, it's like, hmm, what could that mean? And it turns out that the only alignment that works is a, um, is a solstice alignment back when the North Pole was uh, in the Norway Sea. So this would put it, you know, back, you know, many tens of thousands of years, far more ancient than, than is thought to, to, to be. But, you know, again, the idea is that... Um, the, the structures that they are excavating now that date back, they're radiocarbon dated, I think, to 700 um, uh, uh, AD or CE, um, uh, are just, you know, the latest structures on the site. And then the site was, you know, my, my contention is that the site would have been or could have been established, you know, many thousands, tens of thousands of years ago. And then over time, other civilizations you know, co-opted it, uh, built over it, uh, you know, maintaining the, uh, the, the uh, site, the alignment, and so forth. There's actually a lot of precedent for this. Uh, in a lot of the sites in Mexico that I analyze are such that it's not just uh, an isolated structure that's aligned to one of these poles, but it's the whole, like, pattern of cultivation, all the farmland, everything mm. around it, the roads, they're all pointing in these directions because... Because they've been, because they're ancient, and people have built, you know, in those directions, following, you know, the pre-existing plan, and that's actually an accepted principle in archaeology that that um, and uh, that you know that um, um, that civilizations do that. They they don't reinvent the wheel. They don't suddenly decide, well, we're going to do something completely different. They kind of, you know, if, if possible, they go with the flow and they sure. sort of adapt to what's there. Let me ask you something. With all the archaeological sites that that you have investigated on this planet is there any relation to the archaeological sites and other planets in our solar system 
Um, so, you know, when I was involved with the Mars investigation mm-hmm. back in the 80s, uh, the belief was that, well, those of us that were working the so-called independent Mars invest- investigation, that is the non-NASA scientists, we thought these, these structures might be, you know, half a million years old, something like that. Uh, whereas NASA was saying that they're, you know, hundreds of millions, uh, billions of years old. Um, and, you know, it remains to be seen uh, in a few years, we'll, we'll probably get to Mars and we will be able to check out, you know, these structures, the so-called face on Mars right. and the city and these other structures. There's been numerous structures that have been found. And, you know, there's some evidence that they're artificial. We'll be able to verify that. And then, you know, then you have those dates, which are going to be, you know, probably, conser- you know, they're going to be ancient. They're going to be probably in, you know, millions of years. Mm-hmm. But now we'll be able to say, okay, let's um, try to connect that up with stuff on Earth that's maybe hundreds of thousands of right. years. So it's we're getting a little closer. I'm trying to, you know, in a sense, this, this research bridges the gap. Because right now, we just go back, you know, 3000 BC is sort of when the advanced civilizations on Earth got started, you know. And so that's a long. This 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 there's a there's not a lot happening according to the current, you know, paradigms before 3000 BC. You know, um, from the time we were hunter gatherers, you know, we became farmers around 10,000 BC, and then, and there's a lot of mystery, you know, on yeah. how that happened. And so, um, in pushing back these these time frames, we're getting closer. And maybe one day we'll be be able to connect it all up. I mean, it is all one equation. I mean, everything's got to add up. Uh, you know, that's that's my my belief, my hope. So, Tommy, do you miss the aerospace industry? Uh, no, no. I <laughs> it's it, there's uh, there's so much going on. You yeah. know, today actually today was uh, I took a break and I watched uh, the latest SpaceX launch, and uh, it's just uh, it's just amazing what's going on. Uh, so so much so much uh, activity and um, so much is happening. Uh, um, it's just not enough time in the day. <laughs> you know, at the end of your book, you mentioned, I believe it's pronounced the Nakal. Who were they? So the Nakal, uh, I think, might might have been uh, uh, Denisovans. Uh, uh, I have to think before I say it. It's such a hard word for me to say. Uh, the Denisovans are this latest discovery in the in Siberia they're sort of a parallel lineage with the Neanderthals mm-hmm. that sort of split off from the uh, human evolutionary uh, 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 tree back around a half a uh, half a million uh, years or yeah half a million years ago. And um, so, in the book, I talk about this worldwide civilization, you know, before Atlantis mm-hmm. that existed in all these places. I use a term. Uh, that um, some uh, ethnologists back in the 1800s used, and they called um, they called these people the Nakal or the Mayaks. This was um, Mayanism was 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 a, was a really bad word to use to call these people Mayanists. They believe uh, these are people like Churchward and um, Augustus uh, Le Plugione and others who, um, you know, they were, they, they had reputations, but then when they started studying the, uh, the, the Mayan runes, they came up with all sorts of interpretations that were just way outside the box. And so they, anyway, they, they talk about this people called the Nakal. And I think it's possible if, if we're not, so if these people were not ETs, were not aliens, mm-hmm. they were uh, an indigenous civilization that evolved on this planet, 
they could uh, they could have been uh, Den- uh, Denisovans. So, what's the takeaway from before Atlantis? Um, we have a lot of work to do. There's there's we, there's so, the, the 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 takeaway is that there's the further back in time you go, mm-hmm. uh, the the more uh, there's there's a lot more happening than we thought there was, and that's where the the real cool discoveries, the paradigm shifting discoveries are going to be made. What was the ultimate aha moment that that you felt when you were writing before Atlantis? So it was it was back uh, when I you know when it occurred to me that these, um, you know, I was looking at, um, uh, uh, Itza, mm-hmm. and I realized it was lined up to a different place than Teotihuacan. And I realized it was pointing to not exactly, but close to where another one of the Hapgood poles was. So when I realized that these poles could be used as a new way of dating these sites that archeologists cannot date, they, they look at the alignments, and they have no really good explanation for why these sites are lying the way they are. In fact, a lot of the explanations are really convoluted in there. They, they make your head hurt. Wow. But this, but but by aligning them to these ancient poles, which are not proven, these are hypothetical poles, suddenly, like 50 sites, and all, oh, all the sites I looked at in Mexico line up to one of these poles, or line up to a site that lines up to a pole. So it was a... It turned out to be a very powerful explanation, and in science, when you come up with a simple explanation that's powerful, that that's sort of like that's like a like an epiphany. It's like, oh my God, what you know, what's going on here? And that was the that was sort of my eureka moment. And that that all that happened in it was like um, you know the six million dollar man where everything kind of slows down. Oh yeah, and you it, had that it, weird it, music, and away you went. It was an it was like an it was like an infinite amount of time, but it took, I think it really took place in a, in, in a few seconds that this realization uh, occurred to me. And uh, uh, so, yeah, it, it happened quickly, but there was a lot of work to be done after after realizing that. Well, Mark, we have to say so long for tonight. I want to thank you so much for joining us. Continued success and keep us in the loop on what's going on. We'd love to have you back on. So let our listeners know where they can find out more about you and where they can get a copy of your book. Yeah, so so the uh, if you go to beforeatlantis.com, that's that's uh, the main website, and it's and it's um it's a blog. I, I I haven't done a blog before. I didn't do you know, blogs didn't exist. I don't think when I was doing the Mars research. Anyway, um, it's it's a great way of uh, of updating the research. So mm-hmm. um you know I'm posting. I try to post something new every week or two. Um, uh, time permitting, and uh, you know, there's this there's a few posts there. Uh, one on Machu Picchu. And Mark, I've got about 20 seconds. Tell us where we can get your book. And then if you go to beforeatlantis.com, there's a link to the book from there. It's you can get it on Amazon. Thanks, Mark, Rob. Take care of yourself, and to you and yours, the very merriest of Christmases. And to you, thank you very much. My pleasure, sir. Exonation. Mark Carlotto has been our guest this hour. His website is beforeatlantis.com, and I'll be back on the other side of this break as we continue here in the Exon from our broadcast center and studios in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada. I'm Rob McConnell. Don't go away. Mm-hmm.